Good morning. Welcome to worship, La Jolla Community Church. I hope you're comfortably situated, uh, ready to go. I hope you have a Bible handy, uh, maybe a pad and a, uh, a pencil or pen handy, a laptop, whatever. Maybe take some notes if God uh, prompts you with some insights into His Word or your life. I've been so impressed by the creativity of so many people uh, during this quarantine time. Uh, what I've seen, uh, what I've heard, it's just been fantastic. Uh, I want to show you two examples. Uh, two examples of people simply being creative with what they had at hand. Uh, watch these. Uh, creative, right? Fantastic creativity. Uh, and as I was laughing at that last one, uh, created by Richard Goff, I, I was struck by the way it captured today's theme. Uh, today's theme is endurance, encouragement, and hope. And we're answering the question, uh, what's your part in the mission of God? God has a mission in this world uh, fulfilled in Christ, and it includes you, includes me, includes us as the body of Christ, the people of God, the family of God, uh, this movement of God's Spirit. And so what's your part in the mission of God? Because you have a part. It's essential, uh, it's critical, mission critical for you, uh, but also for how God wants to work in you and through you. Why? Because God is doing a work in you and a work through you, right in the actual life you're living now. Uh, so just like those expressions of creativity that we saw, delighting a two-year-old uh, and delighting the rest of us, right, as we watched him go down that slide and as we uh, watched that fantastic video. Uh, God wants to do a creative work in you, but it's going to involve endurance, encouragement, and hope. And we're going to look at that together today. So we're starting with Romans chapter 15, verses 4 to 6. Uh, Romans 15 verses 4 to 6. Now, the ramp-up to this, of course, is that Paul is writing to believers in Rome. Uh, they're going through very difficult times in Rome. Uh, their message about someone higher up than Caesar, uh, a greater authority than Caesar, is not a popular point of view. Uh, because they refuse to worship Caesar and all the Roman deities, they're considered atheists. <laughs> Let that sink in. The people who believe that the living God has saved them and is including them in his mission in the world are perceived by the Romans as atheists because they do not worship the Roman deities and specifically Caesar. And so there's an irony in that, isn't there? At the same time, uh, people have come from all over the world uh, to be in Rome, Jews and Gentiles. Now these people are believers and they're different from one another. And so Paul has been writing to the Romans at this point in his letter in verses uh, chapter 14 up to 15, about, hey, get along with people who are different than you. Don't require everybody to be like you. Uh, and and he, he talks about Jesus uh, taking on 
all kinds of abuse in order to provide for us what we needed. He didn't just think of his own needs. So that's the ramp up uh, to Romans uh, 15, 4-6. So then he says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Let's look at that, verse 4, and the first half of verse 4. Let's call it verse 4a. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Uh, What is Paul referring to here? He's referring to uh, the Word of God, uh, Holy Scripture, the Bible. Uh, Specifically, he's referring to what we call the Old Testament. That was Jesus' Bible. Uh, The Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevi'im, the Ketuvim, the Law, the Prophets, the Writings. And so he's referring to the Old Testament. Why the Old Testament? Because that's giving us the foundation of this work that God has completed in Christ, and now is including us in. And so everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. It's still vital that we understand what our faith is built on. If you're not reading the Old Testament in a regular way, on a regular basis, you're missing the larger context of the New Testament. So as you read your Bible, I hope you're in a regular Bible reading uh, plan and program and process that you read a little bit of Old Testament every day, a little bit of New Testament every day. Maybe you read a psalm and a proverb. Whatever reading plan you have, you, you can find so many of them online. The idea is to see the context and the content that allows us to be engaged in this conversation. Are you listening? God has something important to tell you. Are you listening? He's throwing you a rope. Are you paying attention? God's Word calls us into a life-changing conversation with God. I hope in this time of quarantine, uh, this stay-at-home, sheltering in place, that you are taking the time you wish you had normally to read the Word of God. I have a hunch most of us are busier than ever and now look forward to returning to something more normal where we'll be less busy. So you're going to have to fight for the time and carve out the time and commit to the time Uh, to read God's Word and let God uh, speak to you and engage you in a conversation. Don't be too busy. Uh, I know a two-year-old, and there's nothing more magical and wonderful than a two-year-old, but we all know the phrase, the terrible twos, right? It's because they're working on being literate and being able to verbalize and being able to express themselves, and they get frustrated, and they, they have a sense of their own willfulness, and so they don't always want to do what mom and dad want them to do. We call these the terrible twos. Do you know that the terrible twos never go away? Uh, they just uh, take on a different form as we move through life. Every age and stage in life has to wrestle with and confront the terrible twos. Like this, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm too important, it's too hard. Don't be too busy, too tired, too distracted to have a conversation with the living God. Why? He's the one who's throwing you the rope. He wants to do something in you that you cannot do on your own. And so his word, the Bible, gives us instructions and practices for navigating life with him. 
uh, instructions and practices. Now, you won't find them all listed and defined in a specific Bible passage. Perhaps you've heard the phrase biblical disciplines or spiritual disciplines. They are real things. They're real practices. They're real habits. But you won't find them in a particular passage listed out. Uh, These practices, these instructions are integrated throughout God's Word. And they're demonstrated in the lives of God's people. That's why as we read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see all these marvelous, uh, inspiring examples of people embracing God's Word in some impossible situations. And these practices are what give them endurance. You'll find these in every book of the Bible, and you should expect surprises. We, we see some conventional ways that these practices kick into gear and some unconventional ways. The way God uh, comes alongside us uh, is both conventional and unconventional. If you're in a difficult situation, uh, don't be uh, too prejudiced about how God wants to help you in that situation. Be prepared for surprises. God will surprise you as you lean in with Him as you walk through life. And so what we find are that these spiritual disciplines are transformational in that they make us strong. That's the whole point. They're not disciplines as in punitive measures. They're disciplines as in helping us develop inner strength, the capacity to do more with what we have. This is what's so fun about seeing a small child grow and develop, isn't it? They're growing in their strength, strength of mind, strength of heart, strength of their little bodies and their capacity to to interact with the world around them. And so these spiritual disciplines are God-given habits and practices that build up us and build us up in the body of Christ over which he's the head. It's a fantastic metaphor in Scripture that we are the body of Christ, all the various parts of the body. You can see this in in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 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 Paul talking about the, the, the various parts of the body and how they're all indispensable and essential, like your own body over which Christ is the head. And so these endurance-building disciplines encourage us to do stuff we never imagined. They are expressions of practical love between God and us. So a discipline like prayer, Bible reading, fasting, worship, giving, serving, meditating on God's Word, uh, these are all practical skills and tools and habits that make us strong, that build a deep bond of love between us and God. Uh, They're big, deep Uh, satisfying uh, impacts from from practicing these things. Why? Because just like love, being built on many small gestures over time brings us together. Love isn't just a big gift or a big moment. Love is, is a thousand small gestures that link two people together in relationship. Uh, Parents and kids, husbands and wives, dear friends, colleagues, it's powerful And so starting with the scriptures, we want to establish life-defining habits of spiritual growth. And starting with the scriptures, why? Because the Bible is our foundational text. If we we start with the Bible, everything that was written in the past that was written to teach us, it orients us to all those other spiritual disciplines and habits and practices that will give us incredible uh, wisdom. So make it unavoidable. Put your Bible where you'll definitely read it, where you can see it. Put the Bible on your phone uh, or your pad or your laptop, uh, bedside or in the kitchen. Do not put it in the bathroom for obvious reasons. Uh, That seems just so blatantly disrespectful, and hopefully you don't have enough time to really read it in the bathroom. But think about it wherever you are. Apply it wherever you go. Listen to it as you walk or drive. Memorize it. Why? Because you'll become a more discerning reader and listener and thinker and doer. 
Many of you are in book uh, groups. Fantastic. I love it when people get together to, to read and discuss books. But if you have not read the Word of God, our foundational text, you will not know how to wisely discern what you're reading. Why? Because in everything you read, there's a worldview being presented. There are values being offered up and confirmed or, or attacked. And so when you read the Word of God, it prepares you to read everything else more wisely, with great discernment, wisdom, with deeper enjoyment, because often uh, great literature borrows its themes from biblical themes. And that's why we start with, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. And moving on to the second part of that verse, verse 4b. So that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. That's not we might have hope as in, gee, maybe you'll get hope, maybe you won't. But it's saying this is the way, this is the, the condition under which hope emerges. If we're paying attention, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. It's hard not to notice that we live in a dangerous and unpredictable world. Right? When you least expect it, lava flows in, your life is disrupted, and then to whom do you turn? To whom do you turn? How do you recognize the hand of God in your, in your life? How do you recognize the resources that God is giving you unless you've been taught to endure in the Word of God and by the encouragement they provide and have hope? Endurance, endurance encouragement, and hope are essential gifts from God. They're practices, but they are practices because God gifts them to us. Uh, let me read you out of Psalm 69. We don't have a, a, a slide for this one. But Psalm 69, verses 14 to 18. Paul, before this section of Romans 15, has referenced this about Jesus' capacity and willingness to suffer on our behalf so that he could save us and bring us into relationship with him. And so Psalm 68, uh, uh, 69, verses 14 to 18 says this. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Do not let the floodwaters engulf me or the depths swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. You saw in Richard's clever video, here one minute he's simply reading a book and the next thing his living room is filled with lava. And at that point, uh, what does he do? Uh, we, we could try to look for all kinds of symbolism in this video. It's just a clever video. But something struck me in this video. For example, he's reading the Word. I don't know what Word he was reading, but let's assume in our case, we're reading the Word of God, and all the crazy things that happen in life happen. And we're looking for a way to deal with them or to, uh, to escape from them. And, and in that process, this surreal process, he stands on a rickety step stool. And then next thing, a rope drops out of nowhere, and he sees a poodle with a tennis ball in its mouth. Unconventional, fantastic, but you get the idea that God is offering us a way through the difficulties we face in life. And those come through encouragement based on our endurance. Endurance is not obstinance. It's not stubbornness. It's not ignorance. It's not resistance. It's not indifference. It's not skepticism. Endurance is simply saying, I believe your word because I believe in who you are, O Lord. 
You see, the writer of Hebrews, toward the back of your New Testament, chapter 11, gives an entire chapter of what it looks like to live by that kind of faith, enduring in the face of life's biggest challenges, some life-threatening and some life-taking. And the writer of Hebrews says, out of our weakness, he makes us strong. He gives us staying power. And we're encouraged by that. And we have hope through that. Why? Because they're gifts from God. And so your God-given habits give you endurance, encouragement, and hope as you embrace them, receive them, and develop the capacity to apply them. He develops us in adversity. He develops us through adversity. Why? Because He loves us and He's good. He pushes us beyond our natural limits so that we can learn to trust Him in all things. Uh, When I first moved uh, from Newport Beach, California to uh, Loya, California. Uh, a friend called me up and he said, hey, uh, the Harvard Business School Alumni Association is having a special event with the Navy SEALs down at Coronado. Uh, would you like to be my guest? I said, yeah, I'd love to. And I, I knew about the SEALs, but not much. And so we spent the day walking through all the training that the SEALs do. By now, everybody knows about what the SEALs do. But then not many people really knew what they did. And so here we were watching what they were doing. It was so inspiring. But it would have been easy for all those people to ask the question, why are those guys uh, in groups of six, I think they were, uh, or eight, something like that, and with a big log on their shoulder or a boat on their shoulder, why are they running up and down the beach? Don't they know that the Hotel Dell is that way and, and there's a lot of fun that way? Why are they doing this? Why are they going in that direction? Because they were submitting themselves to a process of building habits that would be absolutely indispensable for not only their safety and security and the success of their endeavors, but for many other people as well. You see what hangs in the balance here, what your part in God's mission is. It's developing these habits that might seem perfunctory or irrelevant, reading the Bible, meditating on it, learning to pray, learning to give, to serve, to worship. You might think, well, these don't really relate to my life. Not until you need them. And then They are absolutely essential for the well-being of your uh, life and the lives of many other people. So we endure and are encouraged because of his faithfulness to us. For what purpose? As I said, taking our part in the mission of God. He's refining us, tempering us, and equipping us to do that. Every single one of us at every age and stage in life. You're never too young. You're never too old. We're in constant training. We're constantly reflecting on his goodness and his love. We're trying to understand how we can extend it to others in creative ways, in compelling ways. Just being us in whatever situation we are. And so our hope then is anchored in the person of God, not in human potential. Uh, Human potential is wonderful. It's just not enough. You can't get there from here with human potential. Even if you achieve all of your human goals, There's a work that God alone can do in you that is essential to all those goals being ultimately meaningful and redemptive in you and through you. So God's faithfulness in Christ is the foundation for our confident expectation to endure, to be encouraged, and to have hope. In life and death, our hope in Him fuels our endurance and fuels our encouragement and develops our hope. And so in verse 5 we see this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Well, this is a bit of a bombshell. That the God who gives us endurance and encouragement wants us to have the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had? That sounds a little scary. 
Because we know that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross for us. We know that Jesus, though God, came into the world and didn't cling to his right to be God. He submitted himself as a servant, sacrificing himself on behalf of others. And of course, God raised him up. And, and Paul writes to the Philippians, at the, at the name of Jesus, at some point when history comes together, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is a powerful and provocative statement. If he's going to be confessed as Lord then, why wouldn't we confess him as Lord now? Why wouldn't we emulate him now? Now, it's not enough to say, I'm going to do what Jesus did. That's a fantastic expression of faithfulness and openness uh, humility and submitting oneself to the Lord. We're not just saying, I'm going to do what Jesus did. We're going to say, I'm going to submit myself to the Lord so he can teach me how to go through life as he went through life. It's not a braggadocio moment of, look at me, watch, stand back, look what I can do. It's saying, look what he can do as we submit ourselves to him. And what was Jesus' attitude of mind? It was his obedient trust in God. If the lava is running through your house and a rope drops out of the sky and you look up and it's a poodle with a tennis ball, it's easy to, dis to dismiss that moment and say, it's a, it's a dog with a ball in its mouth. Uh, as I said, expect surprises. God works through the conventional and the unconventional. The point of that being that it's counterintuitive to submit ourselves to anyone or anything, to serve anyone or anything. We want to demand our rights, stand up for our rights, express our rights. By golly, I have the right to go to the beach starting on Monday. More importantly, in this quarantine season, what have we been learning? I've got to consider others as much as or more as I would consider myself. Uh, this is what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't just nice. Jesus was love in action. Truth in action. Grace in action. God himself up close and personal. Jesus, the visible expression of the invisible God. He, he trusted God obediently. He was confident in God's goodness. He expressed that in humility, in wisdom, and in love. And so emulating Jesus is essential for embracing our part in the mission of God. Emulating as in learning from him, understanding why he did what he did. And, and of course, the Old Testament gives us the, the context for that, and the New Testament gives us the fulfillment of that. And so as we reflect on Scripture, as we pray, we're reflecting and engaging with that. And so we bring every situation in life before him and say, Lord, how do I love this person I cannot stand? How do I treat these people who treated me poorly? How do I deal with the uncertainties of having lost a job? Maybe going through a difficult time in terms of health. Watching loved ones going through difficult times. And so we emulate Jesus by embracing our part in the mission of God, by simply leaning in and saying, uh, Lord, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to show me? What have you put in my hand? What resources are you making available to me? So here's the big idea. Spiritual maturity is an intentional process of personal formation in Christ. That's a mouthful. Spiritual maturity, not just growing in our knowledge, but growing in our capacity to use it wisely, being transformed by that process. It's a, it's a decision. It's a conscious, intentional decision that we submit ourselves to. I will submit myself to the Word of God, to the ways of God, to the person of God. I'll do that in the company of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll, I'll figure out what my part in the body is and use it to bless others in his name. See the power of that? 
It's you being a, a bigger and better, bolder version of you in the context of a community doing the same thing. And so personal formation just goes beyond information or inspiration. It means that something is being transformed in us. We're new creations in Christ, the Bible tells us. That's not just a euphemism. Uh, that's a process, and that's an outcome. So here we find ourselves in verse 6. All this leads us to this point, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I said in chapter 14 le leading up to this passage, Paul's been saying, listen, don't expect uh, everybody to be like you, to agree with you on everything, to express it the same way, to like the same food, to do the same things. There's variety and diversity in the body of Christ. So what is he? Is he changing his mind here? No. He's saying with one mind and one voice, this is our unity, we can glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is not a fantasy, it's a focus. It's not a kumbaya, we're all happy and getting along together. It's saying, no, all of us are focused on the same one, the Lord. We're all focused on the same mission, His. We have a different way of, of, of living that out, given our giftedness and our experiences and our temperament. We talked about that last week. Nine different spiritual pathways of temperament. But all of them unified as we look at Christ, as we move toward Christ together. So this is not a fantasy, it's our focus. Focusing our hope in Him is the whole point. Yes, enjoying the diversity, dealing with the, the, the chaos sometimes and the brain damage of all that diversity. But it's the unity of purpose, the unity of spirit that we express with one voice and one mind that allows us to glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we get to say it this way. I'm part of a community that creatively copes with the hardships of life and even death itself because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. You are part of that kind of community. That's what the body of Christ is. We call that the church. The church is simply a group of people that shouldn't naturally get along, but God brings them all together so that they can say, I am part of a community that creatively copes with the hardships of life and even death itself because of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. I want to be part of that kind of community. What's the entrance requirement? You say, I'd like to be in that community. And the people in that community have no right to say to you, you're not good enough to be in this community. You don't deserve to be in this community. Because you don't agree with everything we believe, you don't get to be in this community. All they have to agree with is that Jesus is their Savior and welcomes them in to learn how to become what he wants them to be. So we confess our sin, we repent of it, we turn toward him and away from everything else but him. And we hold ourselves open heart, mind, soul, strength to say, Lord, I want to be a new creation in you. And let him sort that out in us. His word will guide us and inform us. The disciplines will correct uh, those, those bad habits and those ways that are leading us to death, not to life. But the beauty of this is that with one mind and one voice, we can glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, by saying, I'm part of a community that creatively copes with the hardships of life and even death itself because of the hope I have and we have together in Jesus Christ. How do we get that kind of unity? Pretty simple. Practice, practice, practice. Uh, you've heard it said, practice makes perfect. It's a lie. It's not true. It's well-intentioned, but it's false. It's the right kind of practice that makes perfect. If you're practicing the wrong thing in the wrong way, uh, you're just increasing your bad habit. By, by learning the practices of God, the habits of God, 
the disciplines of God that, that make us strong and give us a full range of motion, that kind of practice is so beautifully transformational. It's stunning when you see its development. How do you know you're experiencing the value of those practices? You start to see other kinds of qualities emerge in you, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You start to be able to say to the people around you, look, we are so different, it's amazing we're in the same room together. Never mind the same a church, the same kingdom. But because we all belong to Jesus and we're all looking at him, we can celebrate the fact that he is our Lord. And as, as Paul writes to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5.21, no slide, just a, just a verse. Submit to one another out of your common reverence for Christ. We can submit to one another. That requires a lot of trust, a lot of confidence. I'm only going to have that trust and confidence if I see that you're looking at Christ. And you're only going to have that trust for me as you see that I'm looking at Christ. And so creative, habitual, disciplined practice, a long obedience in the same direction, using our voice, singing our part, in harmony with others, under one conductor. Let me read the verse we started with. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the way Paul wraps it up a few verses later in Romans 15, 13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord Jesus, that is my prayer for me, for my brothers and sisters, for my family and friends, for people I don't know, <laughs> for people in this church and, and far beyond it. Lord, I pray that this would be the reality that defines us and describes us as nothing else can or ever will. So for this, we give you all honor and glory and praise in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, uh, in just a minute, you'll see some slides uh, uh, following the service, uh, following the benediction, and, uh, and then we're going to have some beautiful worship music from, from Deneen uh, and the band. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to endure, to be encouraged, to have hope, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.